Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Grace Point. I'm Huge, one of the pastors here. It is a pleasure to actually have you join us. Uh, if we haven't met you before, and uh, so welcome those of you who are guests today, uh, visiting us uh, this new year, and welcome to our regulars across our three campuses. It's very rare we do this uh, three times a year, but it's a wonderful opportunity uh, for us to start the year together, uh, to come under God's word together, uh, and to actually hear what God has to say and to refocus our lives as we begin the new year. Uh, will you join with me in prayer? <clears throat> Gracious God, we do pray and ask as we come under your word this Lord's day, we do pray and ask that your spirit might not just give us understanding in our heads, but you might also come and actually bring conviction to our hearts, <clears throat> such that it will overflow into hands and feet that live in line with your will for us, your good purposes for us. We do want to pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Friends, uh, there is an outline in the order of service. You might want to pull that out. Uh, that might be helpful for you. You might want to keep your Bibles open uh, to Matthew chapter 6, uh, which is the primary passage we'll land in today. I don't know if you realize this, but everyone's a worshiper of something or someone in life. I often say this here at Grace Point. Uh, worship isn't a religious thing. It's an everybody thing. Uh, so whether you are Christian or not, whether you're religious or secular, everyone worships something or someone in their lives. Uh, Raimunda Panika uh, is a scholar in comparative religion. And he wrote a book uh, a very, very long time ago, 1972. He wrote a book called Worship and the Secular Man. And in that book, he writes that by nature, we are all, he says, liturgical creatures. By that he means... We are all worshippers by nature, Christian or not. Uh, he wrote in 1972. Uh, and in that book, he wrote, Secular, secularization might be a major phenomenon of our time in the West. But worship, he says, is an apparent fact of all time, applying to all people across all cultures, religious or secular. Very interesting, isn't it? Another author puts it like this, and this is how he defines worship. This might be helpful for you to think through. Uh, one author defines worship in this way. Worship is generally understood as a purely religious exercise. But then he says, worship in a wider sense can be defined as the attitude of one who has singled out values as ultimate values, orders his life or her life around them to serve them in an act of reverence and fulfilling duties attached to them. Worship begins at the moment when we discover something greater outside of ourselves, beyond and above ourselves, values that are more important to us, ourselves. And then he says, a man or woman's life is, no, is of no account. What matters is what he is prepared to live and to die for. Worship is rooted in the attitude, what the ultimate value is in our lives. It could be God, but it could be something else. Worship begins at the moment when ultimate worth is attached to something or someone. And so, he says, this author, this makes us similar to people who are profoundly different from us, whose ideals are incompatible with ours, who go as far as rejecting what we believe, who yet, in spite of all of this, are in an attitude of worship, who gives their lives, offer their death for something which they value, they treasure, respect more than themselves. And so... Religious or secular, Christian or not, everyone is a worshiper in life. 
Worship begins the moment you attach ultimate worth and value to something or someone in your life. Uh, Worship begins when you actually begin to ascribe something as an ultimate treasure in your life. And so worship matters because worship is what gives shape to our lives, to your life. Worship gives your life meaning and purpose. It tells you what to pursue in life. It tells you where to direct all your energy and efforts in life. It tells you what to live for, why you get up and pursue things in the morning. Worship directs your life towards what you believe will bring you happiness in life. And so all of us here in this room today, we give worth and value to what we most treasure in life. And then we live our lives in the pursuit of that treasure. We build our lives around it. Falling in love is actually driven by worship. Did you know that? Did you know that, Josh? I'm not singling him out. Just happened to look across and just saw Josh, right? But, but falling in love is driven by worship. You found in someone your ultimate love, your ultimate beauty, ultimate friendship, and then they become the sole pursuit and love of your life, right? And so you come to church on Sunday, you're in love with someone, guess what? You see them across the room and somehow you find your way across the room to sit next to them. See, worship actually directs your life. Your ambitions in life are actually driven by worship, right? As parents, the aspirations you have for your kids, the academic achievement you're striving for as students, the holiday you're saving for, the career you're building in your life, the future you're working towards, what you dream of in life, they're all driven by worship because it shapes your life. It directs your priorities in life. And so religious, non-religious people are all worshipers because everyone ascribes value and worth to something in their lives, and then they pursue it as the ultimate treasure. Everyone is a worshiper. Now, here in our passage, if you have your Bibles, uh, Matthew 6, verse, uh, starting verse 19, I want to say to you as we start the year, Jesus is incredibly concerned with what we worship in life, what we most treasure in life. Uh, and so this passage is both a, a warning and an encouragement. Right? A challenge and a corrective. Because worshipping the wrong treasures in life will crush you. Will disappoint you. Will devastate you. But worshipping the right things in life, well, that's going to give you what you've always been looking for. Meaning and significance. Purpose and security. Happiness and joy. And so what I want to do with you this first Sunday of the new year is to pause and get us to think very, very carefully about what we're going to make the object of our worship this new year. Good thing to do, isn't it? Uh, whether, your, whether your treasures in life are actually going to hold up, and whether your treasures in life are actually going to deliver what you're looking for in life. And so have a look with me in the Bible, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Have a look at Jesus' concern. I want you to notice something about what Jesus says about the things we treasure in life. He calls them earthly treasures, doesn't he? And let's be honest, in this room, we all have earthly treasures, okay? Things that are precious to us. Uh, things that are ultimate in our lives. Look at what Jesus says about the many things we believe are valuable, things we pursue that we believe will make us happy, things we believe will satisfy us, stuff that we are today holding on very tightly to because we're afraid of losing them, or things we are uh, relentlessly, relentlessly pursuing in our life because we believe these things will actually make us happy. Notice, Jesus doesn't actually say they're bad things. So he, he doesn't say your earthly treasures in life. He doesn't say they're worthless. He doesn't say they're a waste of your time. Jesus never says wealth is worthless. He doesn't say your family relationships are worthless. He doesn't say your home or property investments are not worth uh, uh, investing in. He doesn't say traveling is worthless. He doesn't say that. 
And so you'll notice in this passage, Jesus never says, don't stop enjoying your earthly treasures. But what does he say? Look at verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin, the word is worms, where moth and worms destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, what are these treasures on earth that Jesus is speaking about? Well, the word treasure, we all know, communicates wealth. Okay? Uh, so it could be wealth in the form of money and jewels or, or things of value like land and property. Uh, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus draws a contrast between, the treasure, uh, between treasures in heaven and the possessions of the rich young man. Okay? And we're told that the rich young man uh, was a man of great wealth. Uh, the idea there in verse 22 of chapter 19 is that he had many fields, okay? He had lots of property, he had homes, and he had furnishings. The idea of furnishings are toys. He had lots of toys in his life, verse 22. Now, if you keep reading in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus, when he speaks to his disciples, he then goes on to speak of earthly treasures <coughs> in terms of home, fields, family, and children, Now, in chapter 6, Jesus says, look carefully at your earthly treasures in life. The things you are ascribing ultimate worth and value. The things that are ultimate treasures in your life that you're building your life around. That you're anchoring your happiness in. And Jesus says, keep a loose grip on them in life. Okay, Don't hold on to them too tightly in life. Because if you make too much of them, you'll be in for a rude shock. Now, look carefully what he says, verse 19, your treasures on earth are easily destroyed by moths and worms. Your treasures on earth are easily stolen from you, taken from you. And so, I don't know whether you realized it, but this, but have you ever realized there's a used by date to everything we treasure under the sun? Has it ever occurred to you that everything we ascribe worth and value to in our lives has a use-by date, like you heard in the children's talk, right? You put stuff in the fridge, it's got a use-by date. Uh, Even children know that everything has a use-by date. Uh, Those of you with young children, you've gifted them lots of stuff at Christmas. I suspect it's it's in the discard pile right now, sitting somewhere in your house, which no longer excites them, right? After a few hours, (coughs) if you're lucky, a few days, it becomes old and boring. It's got a use-by date. Now, We laugh when we look at our children, right? Because, you know, they've got such a short attention span. But it's also true if you're an adult. You know, the new phone that so excites you within a few months becomes old and boring. Within 18 months, it's considered out of date, either exchange for a new one or in the drawer somewhere at home. The new car that excites you, that you look after so meticulously, becomes old and you lose interest in it. Within a few years, has dings and scratches and you finally don't wash it, just sits out there collecting dirt. You drive it like a rust bucket, eventually it's sold as a second-hand car, or it's scrap for metal. You know, I realize that there's not much difference between a child and an adult. Most of a child's treasures hits its use-by date within a few hours. An adult's treasures hits its use-by date just over a bit more time. Now, Jesus' words are meant to make us pause, right? To do a stock take in our lives, and it's a good thing to do as we start the new year. To look carefully at what we most treasure in life, what we are pursuing, believing it will give us lasting happiness. But everything you consider a treasure in your life right now, right? Just pause with me and think about your children, your spouse, your work, your career, your investments, your wealth, all your pursuits, all your toys in life, everything you are seeking to build in life, all that you have anchored your happiness in under the sun. 
it's all subject to two things. So look at verse 90. Jesus says it's all subject to decay and circumstances that you do not control. Decay and circumstances that you do not control. Jesus says the moth and the vermin, the worms, will eventually eat away and destroy it. Nature and time always wins. And the effects of nature and time overtakes every treasure you have in life. The rising of the sun... And the setting of the sun is a reminder to us that our treasures in life will eventually fade and decay over time. The passing of time ages us, and it also ages our treasures. Psalm 90 verse 12, the psalmist says, Teach us to number our days so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Why? Because time brings our days to a close. So teach us to number our days. Help us to live wisely, to pursue and live for the right things in life. Decay is the real cancer that brings everything under the sun to an end. Do you know that? Jesus says as well, circumstances will rob you and take it from you. Because your treasures are easily taken from you. They're not as secure or safe as you think. The thief breaks in and steals it. We don't control the circumstances that steal what we most love, that upsets our investment plans, that derails our careers. You know some of us have been here long enough at Grace Point to know you put your life's energy and work, you know, uh, energy into your work or your career, into a company, only to find yourself made redundant. <clears throat> you make your children the center of your life, only to lose them to tragic circumstances. You spend years investing, saving, and planning to enjoy early retirement, only to find that your spouse has terminal cancer. You know, just this week I had an interview uh, with Wesley Cortez, okay? If you know his name, <coughs> it means you've been watching The Bachelor, okay? I don't know who's been watching The Bachelor. But they interviewed Wesley on Hope 103.2, uh, one of the three bachelors looking for love this season, and, and he spent some time in a nursing home, and he shared the story of his time uh, with, an, with an elderly lady who had moved into the nursing home, <coughs> Uh, her husband went in first, but she went in even though she didn't need to because she wanted to be with him. Uh, and so she moved in to look after him. Uh, he eventually died in her arms. Um, the worst part, she says, about growing old, she says, is outliving the people I love. That's the worst part about live, getting old. Outliving the people I love. She outlived her husband and she outlived her children. Uh, a couple years ago, I remember being at an elders' meeting, <clears throat> and often what we do at elders' meeting, if you wonder what we do at the start, we often share and we pray for one another in our elders' meeting. And I still remember one of our previous elders, Andrew, sharing his prayer point. And, and I, I wrote it down because it was so profound. I still keep it uh, in my journals. And he wrote, you know, when we said, so Andrew, what are your prayer points? And he said, <clears throat> um, I want my joy to be so anchored in Jesus that he's what I love and desire more than my children. I love my kids, they're everything to me, but I don't want my joy to be anchored in them. You know why? Because as a parent, right, your greatest fear <coughs> is that you lose your child. If that's where you've anchored your joy and your treasure in life, that is going to destroy you. That will devastate you. That will crush you. And so Andrew said, I love my kids, but I don't want them to be my highest joy. That's wise, isn't it? You know, your earthly treasures are much more fragile than you realize, subject to decay, and circumstances are not in your control. And they're all stamped with a use-by date. 
Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. Health and wealth, they come and go. Yesterday's celebrities are today's has-beens. Time actually reveals no winners because nothing lasts forever. You only have to go back a few years. And this is revealing your age. <clears throat> Roger Chan over there, right? Do you remember Pat Benatar? Yes, you do. See, he's pretending he doesn't know. Love is a battlefield, okay? How many of you actually here remember Blockbuster Video? Right? Reveals your age, you see? Gordon over there, so he's nodding his head. Uh, how many of you had shares in Ansett? How many of you had insurance policies with HIH? These are all things that have come and gone, see? Anna's actually nodding her head, again, revealing her age. You see, the landscape of history is also a witness and testimony because all the great cities and kingdoms in history have their use by date. Aztecs, Mongol, Egyptian, Assyrian, Babylonian, Persian, Greek, Roman, America, and we all know China as well. They rise and they fall. They all fade with the passing of time. The elements have left little of their wealth and power. All that's left are broken monuments buried in the sand. Tourist sites, kingdoms, cities that mean nothing to us because moth and worm have destroyed them all. You know, often I quote Owen Shelley's Ozymandias, a tribute to the kings of the past and what remains. You know, in Ozymandias, the poet Owen Shelley writes, I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert, near them on the sand. Half sunk, a shattered visage whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of co-command tell what is sculpture well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal, the little thing down the bottom, appear these words. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Looking, look on my words, you mighty in despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sand stretch far. Who was Ozymandias? No one knows, and no one cares. He was a great king, a powerful king, but no one remembers him. All that's left behind, broken monument in the sand. The moth and worm destroys everything. The passing of time brings it all to an end. All that he treasured under the sun, his wealth and jewels, gone, plundered by thieves and tomb ro robbers, echoing the words of Jesus. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin or worms destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And so, can you see why Jesus is concerned? Look at your life. There is no earthly treasure in your life that's going to last. There's nothing in your life that you have ascribed worth and value to here in this earth that's going to last. And Jesus says, it's going to be taken from you. So don't bank your lasting happiness, your lasting security, your lasting significance in life on your earthly treasures because it will be taken from you. Now, this is probably the reason why so many of us uh, live with anxiety and fear and insecurity because we actually do know how fragile our earthly treasures are. It's the reason why we work so hard to guard it and protect it, to secure it, to sacrifice for it, because we know it's so easily lost. And when you bank your life on your earthly treasures, whether it's your career or your family or stuff in life, your investments, whatever it is, it's no wonder your whole life is lived enslaved and in the grip of these things. And so you've got to understand it, this understand it this morning, right? The happiness and satisfaction that comes from financial freedom, professional success, social status, relational contentment, personal fulfillment, 
will not last. And if you make these things the object of your worship in life, they will actually disappoint you. As they age, as they decay, as they're taken from you, as they are subject to circumstances outside your control, golem-like fear will grip you in life. Golem-like despair will find you. And golem-like overwhelming grief and anger will fill you when you lose them, when they're taken from you, or when you are taken from them. It's no wonder so many people live their lives like slaves, like golem to their earthly treasures, slaves to what they worship in life. I realized last night, right, you know, every year I try to watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy, didn't, didn't get to start it last night, but I realized you don't have to watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy to see golem. Just look around you. Sometimes, just sometimes, you find golem in the mirror of your own life. Do you know that? Jesus wants us to understand and realize our earthly treasures will not last. Now, have a look at verse 20, because I want you to notice how Jesus freezes from anxiety and fear and insecurity. Okay? What he does is he replaces our earthly treasures with something better, a more secure and lasting treasure. He says the treasures of heaven, the things you're so holding on tightly to, you know, your precious in life, are perishable, like paper cups that eventually leak and bend, go in the bin. Let me give you something better, Jesus says. Look at verse 20. Here's Jesus' solution, right, to the fragility and the impermanence of happiness in our earthly treasures. Now, he doesn't deny them. He doesn't deny our pleasure to be happy. Uh, His solution is not for us to try our hardest to get rid of our earthly treasures in life. He says, pursue a better treasure. And that's why the writer, you know, C.S. Lewis, he says... Most of us in our lives, we live like children, obsessed with our earthly treasures. We're too, so satisfied with earthly treasures, you know. We're like uh, children who like make mud pies in the slum. And then he says, and we, we cannot imagine what it's like to go on a holiday to make sandcastles by the ocean. Too easily pleased, okay? And so he says, you know, we're like children who are filled with happiness because we think we have captured the entire ocean in a paper cup. And we're crying when the cup spills over because that's been our ultimate treasure. We're like that when it comes to our earthly treasures in life. And Jesus is saying, look over there because there's a vast ocean filled with happiness, lasting happiness that never runs out. That's what you're missing. Uh, At the risk of embarrassing my children, I don't often get to do it because I'm not a litcom anymore. Um, Those of you who have been long, long enough at Grace Point have heard so many of my children's stories because, you know, when they were small, I used to tell a lot of stories about them as Pastor Elliot will do about Anna. But then as they got bigger, I had to stop. And the reason why I had to stop is because it really irked them. And so after church on Sunday, I used to get a, tell- I get a telling off, so I stopped telling stories about the kids. But at the risk of actually uh, doing that today, when Josh and Ashley were really small, he was seven, she was five, right? Um, I remember a time we went to the beach. Some of you heard the story. We were by the beach. Josh, you know, he was building sandcastles. He loves digging holes. He still does. <laughs> okay. Those of you who go to the beach with him will know he still loves doing that. He's digging holes, he's building sandcastle. Uh, you know, to build sandcastle, you, you need water from the ocean. And so he's got his little bucket there. He's seven. He's building his sandcastles. He's got water from the ocean. He's building his sandcastle. Ashley's five. She comes over, she looks at his great building project, his sandcastle project. She looks at the bucket of water. She's five. She kicks it, tips over. So the water flows out. And Josh, he's seven, and he stands there. 
and he starts shaking. You know why? Because he's, 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 he's not just shocked, he's upset. You know, his bodily function, he's shaking. And then he bursts into tears. And I'm standing there, and I'm looking at the two of them, and I'm going, bro, it's a bucket of water. You just, the ocean's right behind you, right? And so you think you've lost everything, but turn around. There's a whole ocean behind you. And you know what? Sometimes we live our lives like that. We think that, you know, our little buckets in life has, has captured uh, the happiness that we're looking for. And we're missing the ocean God has provided for us. You know? That, that's what we're like in life. That's what, that's what Lewis says. And so I want you to, to, to understand today that the pursuit of greatness external to you in life the desire for a happiness, something beyond yourself, the longing to be satisfied, it's, it's how God has wired you up. And so Jesus doesn't say deny your desire. He wants to redirect our desires. And the fact that we're constantly disappointed by our earthly treasures, the fact that we're always despairing when we lose our earthly treasures, the fact that we're always afraid of losing our earthly treasures, the fact that we're always wanting more in life of things is actually a reminder to us that maybe we were made for something more. Maybe you were made for happiness and satisfaction in something greater than the stuff in your life right now that are as perishable and as lasting as a paper cup. So this is the alternative. Jesus says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin or worms do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Start ascribing worth and value to treasures that last. Start building your life around what's going to give you lasting joy and happiness and security and significance that cannot be destroyed, that cannot be, that is not affected by the ravages of time, that isn't subject to decay or decomposition, that isn't affected by the circumstances of your life. Notice the direction is upward, Godward. There you'll find lasting treasure. And so Jesus redirects our worship in life. He alters the course of our pursuits in life. He doesn't say stop having a desire to be happy to find meaning and significance. He doesn't say, stop enjoying your earthly treasure. He says, store up what is lasting and far better that cannot be taken from you, a wealth that cannot be taken from you. Now, so it's worth asking, isn't it, what are these earthly treasures? Okay, uh, It's there in your outline. The first thing I want to say is that the Bible does speak of God rewarding his faithful people. There are treasures in heaven, literally treasures in heaven. Paul speaks of the crown of glory. Uh, he speaks of an imperishable prize, a reward, 1 Peter 5, 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, he speaks of a reward for the faithful, okay? So the Bible does talk about that. But the Bible also speaks of where the treasures of heaven are found, the locus of those treasures. And so very quickly, you might want to have a look with me. Uh, have a look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, verse 2, or look with the person uh, next to you. Uh, then Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, Paul encourages us, and he says... Set your hearts or seek the things that are above where Jesus is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Notice, who is the focus of the things that are above? Who is at the center of heaven? Where do the treasures of heaven find their locus, their center, their climax? In Jesus, where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Now, if that doesn't convince you, I suspect 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 will. So flip with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, because look with me very carefully at where Paul says you find ultimate greatness, where you find lasting beauty, 
where eternal glory is found. And there the Apostle Paul says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's found in Jesus. Glory is found in Jesus. The beauty you're looking for, the joy you're looking for, the the significance you're looking for, the wealth you're looking for, the power you're looking for, it's found in Jesus, who is the image of God in his eternal glory, in his unmatched greatness, in his unrivaled love, in his unequal power, in his incomparable worth. All the treasures of heaven find their locus in the person of the Lord Jesus. The lasting happiness that your heart is actually looking for is found in a person. The lasting treasure of heaven that we are to pursue is none other than the Lord Jesus, which is why when you read the sweep of the New Testament, Jesus is described as everything we desire, everything we need that satisfies us forever. Unmatched greatness, unequal power, unrivaled in his love, incomparable beauty. And so you think of the Gospels, those of you who are familiar with your Bibles, he's the water of life that if you drink will end your thirst forever. Uh, He's the bread of life that if you eat, Well, and your hunger forever. He's eternal life. He's the rock that cannot be moved. He's the author of life. He's the resurrection that ends the sting of death. He's the gateway of heaven. He's the prince of peace. He's the truth. He's the giver of never-ending joy. He's the judge who enacts perfect justice. He's the friend who's always faithful. He's the ultimate lover. And so when Jesus says, store it for yourself, invest in the treasures of heaven, you know, he's actually saying, follow me. Make me your treasure in life above all things, and you will never be disappointed. Make me your treasure in life over all things, and you will never be disappointed. Make me the object of your worship. What I give will outlast anything you're holding on to right now. Which is why in Matthew 19, which was read for us, to the rich and the religious young man looking for eternal life, what does Jesus say? He says, this is where you find your treasure in heaven. You want eternal life? Jesus says, Follow me. Follow me. Make me the object of your worship above your wealth, your property, your career, your children, and you'll have lasting treasure in heaven. And you know, Matthew 19 is actually there as a warning to us, as a sober challenge to us. Because in the story of the rich young man, you find that he loved his earthly treasures more than he wanted the treasures of heaven. He loved his earthly treasures more than he wanted the treasures of heaven. And so he holds on tightly to his wealth. And we read that he went away very, very sad. Like an ignorant child, he holds on to his little ocean in his paper cup. He rejects Jesus' offer of the ocean of God's greatness and lasting wealth and happiness. And so Jesus puts this to us. Maybe there's things you need to learn to let go of as we start the new year together. Maybe you need to let go of some paper cups in your life and instead take what Jesus is offering. And the tragedy in the story of the rich young man is that he loved his earthly treasures more than the lasting treasures of heaven. He he exchanges the lasting for the decaying. He actually chooses the finite and breakable over infinite wealth and possessions. And it's a foolish exchange, isn't it? And so, listen very carefully to what Jesus says. Stop holding on so tightly to your earthly treasures in life. Stop worshipping the ocean that you're holding to in your paper cup as if it was going to last forever. They're good things, but they are not lasting things. They have a use-by date. 
And then Jesus says to us, He alone is the lasting treasure that you and I should be doing everything in our power, everything in our capacity to gain, to have, to experience, to know. That's the reason why Jesus came and died. He came and he died, not just so that you might know forgiveness of sin. He came and he died so that you might come to know and have the Father in his eternal glory. See, the great gift of the gospel is actually not forgiveness of sin, but what forgiveness of sin secures. The eternal glory of the Father. And that's why you read, right? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Christ suffered for sin once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to do what? To bring you to God. To give you the treasure of heaven. I mean, the gift of adoption is not a piece of paper that says you are legally adopted. Right? You adopt a child. They don't value that piece of paper. What does the paper say? The paper is actually a piece confirming the adoption, but the gift of the adoption is a family with a mom and a dad. The gospel has brought you to know the eternal glory of a heavenly father, and it's all made possible through Jesus the Son. So it's no surprise that Jesus says, have a look at verse 21 now, look at your treasures in life because they're going to reveal your heart. Okay? What you're giving ultimate worth and value to in life, it's going to be revealed. Your, that's what your treasures reveal. And so Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. For where your treasure is, there you'll find who holds and who, who is at the very center of your heart's affection and love in life. Like I said at the start, everyone's a worshiper in life. Everyone ascribes worth and value to some treasure in life, and then they pursue it with a vengeance in life, which means everyone has a God they worship, live for and pursue. Everyone has an altar they serve at. And, and your treasures in life, Christian or not, reveals your heart. What holds the place? Supremacy in your life. The altar you serve each day, the God you worship. See, there are no, there's, there's everyone's a worshiper. Uh, I've said this before, author uh, David Foster Wallace, who's not a Christian, he writes so insightfully, and this is what he writes, in the day-to-day trenches of life, there's no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And then he writes, if you worship money and things, if you are, if they are where you tap your real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. Never feel you have enough. If it's, the, uh, it's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual law, and you'll always feel ugly. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you need even more power over others to numb your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you always end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Um, like I said, we're all worshippers, and what you most treasure in life what you are living for in the pursuit of happiness tells you what you're worshipping. And Wallace actually says, the things you worship in life are eventually going to eat you alive because they cannot deliver. They never last. Now Jesus actually says the same thing of our earthly treasures. But he goes one step further than David Foster Wallace. He offers us the treasure of heaven that do last. Now you may not be a Christian here this morning. But even if you didn't believe that there was such a thing as a lasting treasure, it's your heart's desire. (laughs) Which is why we live our lives in an endless cycle of pursuits that never seem to satisfy. We live our lives always grasping at things, but never arriving. We live our lives never arriving at the happiness we want. We're never satisfied, are we? Now, in the ancient book of Wisdom Ecclesiastes, the teacher, the wise man writes that it's because you and I 
have been created with eternity in our hearts, right? We long for what is lasting. And the stuff under the sun, it's not going to last. And if it's true that your treasures on earth will not last and will never deliver, if it's true that Jesus has come to, to give and make the lasting treasures of heaven available, then we must heed the warning Jesus gives, right? Have a look at verse 22 to verse 24. Jesus ends with a warning. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Because no one can serve two masters. You'll hate one or love the other, devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and your earthly treasures. Did you hear that? You cannot serve both God and your earthly treasures. Jesus focuses on your eyes this morning. I suspect 90% of people in this room have resolutions for the new year. You know, that's what everyone asks, right? I think someone asked me last week. So what are your resolutions for the new year? I suspect you might have resolutions for the new year. What does it mean to resolve? To resolve is to set your eyes on something, a goal, an end, an object, a treasure, and then pursuing it, being guided by it, to go down the path that leads to it, giving your energy to it. Whatever has captured your eyes, your gaze, your focus, your obsession, your love, what you resolve doesn't just reflect what's in here in your heart. It also reveals something about your life. It reveals whether your life is filled with light or darkness. It reveals the light of a life that is found in the Lord Jesus, lasting treasure, the ultimate treasure in life. Or it reveals the darkness of an idol, an altar to a false god, uh, an earthly treasure that's the object of your worship. And so your life is either filled with light or darkness. Understand this, right? There's only, one, there's only room for one treasure in your life. That's why Jesus says no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and your earthly treasures. Your eyes, your resolve this year are a window into your soul. Not just what you worship, but whether your life is filled with light or darkness. You know, the word money there in that last verse is, you know, you cannot serve both God and money. The word money is used to speak of earthly treasures. It's the word mammon. And so those of you who use the older translations, you'll see you cannot serve God or mammon, right? Mammon was the Carthaginian god of wealth. And some writers actually point out that mammon actually comes from the Hebrew word that means entrust. And so money was the wealth people entrusted to the bank, right? To the places that kept their wealth safe. But as time goes on, mammon, money, comes to mean not that which we entrust, but that which people put their trust in. Huge difference, isn't it? Jesus says you cannot trust both God and money. You're either trusting your life to God or to your earthly treasures. Which is it? Your treasures in life reveal your heart, who you worship and who you ultimately trust in life. And what you have resolved this year are a window into your heart. The most important thing you need to resolve is who you will follow in life. Did you hear that? The most important thing you need to resolve is who you will follow in life. The resolution that matters most is who you will follow. You know, if there's one resolution that we all need to make this year, personally and as a church community, it would be a resolution to follow Jesus in whom are found all the treasures of heaven, to know him more, to love him more, to trust him more, 
to enjoy Him more, to walk more with Him, and to grow more in Him. To be able to say in the words of a hymn that we're going to sing in a moment, to pray each day, Lord Jesus, be Thou my vision. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and Thou only, you and you only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure Thou art.